Hello, my name is John Malloy, director of the Center for Public Ethics at Martin Luther University College, based in Waterloo, Ontario, Canada. Welcome to The Moment. In this series, we try to reimagine our post-pandemic life together after our COVID-19 life apart. You're listening to our special series on polarization, where we ask some of Canada's leading thinkers why we're entering our post-COVID world so divided and can faith play a role in bringing us together. Today we are in conversation with Nina Karachi Khalid, National President of the Canadian Council of Muslim Women. Nina, welcome to The Moment. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you with us. As you know, the theme of this podcast series is political polarization in Canada. The fact that not only are there extreme views out there, but even those holding the middle ground appear to be more hostile to their political competitors. Some communities in Canada have experienced this sense of division in a profound way. There are far too many examples of Canada's Muslim community experiencing discrimination, prejudice, and even violence. And I wanted to give you a chance to outline your work at the Council and why these divisions and sense of polarization are of such concern to you. Thank you. Uh, Well, I'm with the Canadian Council of Muslim Women, or CCMW. It's an organization dedicated to the empowerment, equality, and equity of all Muslim women in Canada. And our mission is to affirm the identities of Canadian Muslim women and to promote their lived experiences through community engagement, public policy, stakeholder engagement, and amplified awareness of the social injustices that Muslim women and girls endure in Canada, while at the same time advocating for their diverse needs and equipping local CCMW chapters with the necessary resources to maximize national efforts and mobilize local communities to join the movement. Essentially, CCMW um, uh, is an organization that's been around now 40 years, if you can imagine. For us, it's a big deal. Uh, We started out as a small group of women that saw that there was a need that was not being met and our voice was not being heard within the Muslim community. And we realized also that a lot of Muslim women need, um, we need help in this country to be able to um, do the utmost for our family, for ourselves and for our wider community. And And we know that um, being in Canada to be successful means you have to engage with the larger community, the larger society. And we have to get to know one another and and all the other good things that come from engaging and taking part in society at large. Now, for as far as polarization goes, um, you're right that the Muslim community has seen has seen some really tough times in the last couple of years. Um, there's a, a lot of negativity, a lot of um, unknowns. It's even, you know, a lot of times I think that um, this comes from fear of the other. Um, a lot of Muslims are often portrayed in the media and in news as being terrorists, uh, ones that um, want to change the society, want to take over, 
Um, it's always nefarious things that us Muslims are planning. And it's not at all the case. I mean, we are just like everyone else. We are a community that is very diverse. We are um, over a million now in Canada Muslims. Um, the earliest Muslims that we know of probably came with the slave trade from uh, West Africa. And then, of course, there were, you know, a lot of Lebanese that came to the prairies and, um, you know, out west. And they were essentially peddlers and um, going door to door salesmen. They were they were poor and they really struggled, just like all newcomers, but especially at that time. Um, and but they eventually built their communities and uh, found um, like minded people. But um, so we've been here a long time. But for I think if you ask, you know, regular Canadians or Canadians on the street and they have been polled, they say that they're very afraid of Muslims. Um, I always say to my friends and family, I think that the Muslim community needs a very good public relations firm. We need like the top one in Canada or North America to help us figure out how best to get our message out that we are like everyone else that we have the same desires, the same needs, the same fears, that we are, you know, trying to make a good life and make this a better place to live for all people and to help our children to succeed and get a good footing. And then a lot of times, of course, it's, you know, trying to help our families back home because um, as my father always said, he was a refugee from former Yugoslavia, from Bosnia, came in 1949 he always said that this was the best country in the world to be a Muslim. Canada is the best country in the world to be a Muslim because we have this freedom of religion, the freedom of speech, that, um, you know, there is this idea of multiculturalism, of pluralism, of diversity, and that most people in Canada are immigrants. You know, we have our indigenous peoples, our First Nations peoples who were here before us, and we are simply all guests. We um, Some guests came earlier and some guests came later and some are still trying to come, but um, we are guests to this land. I wanna, I wanna pick up, uh, you know, I love your comment that uh, you need to hire a, a public relations firm. <laughs> What, you know, when we talk about polarization, and I've, I've mentioned this in other episodes, we didn't, when we planned this special series, we didn't know that a group of truckers would take over Parliament Hill. Uh, but, you know, as we've discussed in other podcasts, some people say that that is a, you know, a huge sign of polarization. Others say it's a symptom of something deeper that's going on. And of course, you know, when you talk about the Muslim community, there's, you know, the horrific horrific events that occurred in London, Ontario. There are individual assaults and issues of violence, that sort of thing. And I guess I'm just wondering, when you think about these divisions with these polarization in Canada, obviously, you know, your mind would go to, all of our minds would go to these these horrific incidents, but are they symptomatic of, of something that's perhaps less evident? I mean, are, 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 you know, do you or members of your community, are they seeing polarization in other ways, in more subtle ways? Um, oftentimes, of course, it's easy to see those um, real evident 
pictures, especially on TV newscasts and in the newspaper, uh, like you said, with the trucker convoy and um, those flags that were flying, that swastikas and F. Trudeau and the whole other thing. And for, I think, not just for Muslims, but for all Canadians, it was shocking that um, we've never sort of, we never saw ourselves as being so unhappy or that there are so many or there, or that there is a segment of the population that is feeling unheard. And um, I think that certainly during the lockdowns of COVID-19, there was a segment of the population that was disproportionately affected. Certainly I've seen friends and family who have suffered due to the public health rules. And I agree that when you take away a person's right to work and earn a living and support his or her family, then you're going to have big problems and there's going to be feelings of unfairness and injustice and you know we've seen that Canada is not immune to intolerance and division Um, I see it also I see the polarization happening with laws like law 21 in Quebec which bans members of the civil service from wearing religious symbols including public school teachers judges and police officers and for us in the muslim community i really feel like it was just a law to ban muslim women from wearing the headscarf i don't think they really cared about the kippah you know the 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 skull cap that jewish men wear i don't think they really cared about the sikh turban i think it, it for me this is my opinion that it really centered on Muslim women wearing the headscarf. And it, um, you know, it prevents them from working in their fields of study. So many of them were training to be teachers and, you know, police officers or whatever, judges. Um, they, they cannot, their hands are tied. They cannot now uh, fulfill that dream of being able to take care of their family and have the self-actualization They've studied, they learned, they, they trained for a certain role in society to be able to give back, um, and now they can't. And the laws like the one in Quebec pit people in society against one another, and they create negative feelings and mistrust amongst people in the same society. Um, I see that Law 21 um, was drawn up by political leaders that want to create division among people. And so you're going to see ordinary citizens push back. Um There's another insidious, terrible way that I see polarization happening, but it's happening online um, with the proliferation of white supremacist groups in Canada. They say that there are more than 300 active white supremacist and neo-Nazi groups in Canada. And criminal and hate-motivated incidences reported to police rose by more than 60% between 2014 and 2017. Now, the group that I'm part of, the Canadian Council of Muslim Women, has developed a social media campaign aimed at highlighting stories of Islamophobia and racism that have been experienced by Canadian Muslim women and girls and non-binary people. And we've also created a series of video and anti-racism workshops to raise awareness about online hate. Um, so we, we, what we feel like as, a, as an organization that we need to equip our members to better be able to identify um, you know, hate speech, and then what to do about it afterwards. A lot of um, the topics covered in our digital anti-racism education workshops include questions like what is Islamophobia, what is gendered Islamophobia, what is cyber hate, and the discussion of counter-speech and counter-narratives. 
Now, um, counter speech includes empathy, includes, you know, humor, includes warning of consequences. Um, this, we've seen it, as you said, with the murder of the Ufsell family in London, and we're coming up to the one year anniversary, such a tragic story. Um, that was definitely a hate crime and, and the perpetrator was a terrorist. So often, you know, people label Muslims as terrorists, but we have terrorists, you know, amongst us who are creating these divisions and who are being fed a steady diet of hate and division. And they are oftentimes these young white men who you, it baffles me, like how does an 18 year old or a 21 year old have that much hate um, brewing inside. We just saw this past weekend, there was an incident in Buffalo, New York, and I was raised in Niagara Falls, was so just on the border. And I have a lot of friends and family that live in Buffalo and the surrounding suburbs. And that was another terrorist attack. Um, you know, and, and it was based on, I think, majority, if not all of the people that were killed were black. So these kind of things are are happening. They're happening in a, in a regular, steady way. I know last summer there were a lot of Muslim women who wore the headscarf that were attacked in Edmonton in parking lots of shopping malls. I mean, like, it's not one in the morning and it's not walking down a dark alley. It was broad daylight in a shopping mall parking lot that people are pushed, their scarves are torn, and they're actually, you know, assaulted. Why? These are strangers. These are people that don't even know who they're attacking. They just know that it's a, a person of dark skin who looks different from them and who is not one of them. And um, I, I don't understand it. I don't, I, I don't get it, but I know that we have to do something about it. And I, and I want to... I want to ask you though, and I want to get. I'm looking forward to talking about how do we how do we build bridges and how do we get rid of some of that hate. But there are voices out there that would say, "Look, uh, the polarization exists because the old systems are being are being threatened. Old systems that were dominated by white males. I've now this will be the third time I make the joke. I represent old white males. I represent that comment that the power structures are being torn down. You spoke uh, a few minutes ago, uh, the Muslim community is a million strong in Canada. It's a relatively new community. Um, it's threatening, or it's being seen as I don't mean threatening, but destabilizing sort of the old power structures that that existed, or maybe threatening is the right word. Um, you know, there's some some horrible stuff going on out there. Uh, of course, our society is divided because we're right now in the, in the process of undoing, uh, uh, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the, these structures that have existed for years. Why should we worry about polarization? Why don't we just push forward? So I'm interested in your take on that as to, to why do we even need to build bridges the way you've mentioned? I think we have to build bridges. We can't allow this division to fester and to go unchecked. Um, people need each other. We need each other. We live in a society that is, you know, as we know, the world is so small that what happens, for instance, in Christchurch, Christchurch New Zealand, with that mosque shooting, affects and influences 
people in North America, then what happens here affects people in Indonesia and, and so on. We cannot assume that it's okay to just let this be. There has to be some kind of a, um, a dialogue, uh, bringing together, uh, finding a common ground. Um, I think that especially people from faith communities have a special role to play in that. Um, there was an article in the National Catholic Reporter in November 2019, 2018, and Maureen Day, she was addressing polarization in the Catholic Church, and she laid out six ways toward moving toward healing divisions. And I would say that those six steps work equally well in fostering cohesion and unity among all people. Um, I want to go through the six steps Number one is build relationships. We need to strengthen our interpersonal connections and trust of each other. We cannot let this mistrust and negative feelings grow. Number two, be uncomfortable. She says we need to reach out to people who are different than us. Socialize with people who don't hold the same political opinions, who are not the same race, age, or income level. Number three, she says start with what is held in common. You know, I talked about that common ground, and oftentimes it's a term that's used between Christians and Muslims in interfaith dialogue. But we need to make explicit what everyone has in common and allow for everyone to regroup and go back to what is foundational when disagreements arise. We know disagreements will arise, but we need to know how to disagree respectfully. Um, number four, recognize the differences between disagreeing with principles and disagreeing with the application of those principles. It's critical in these discussions to know exactly what we're disagreeing about. Oftentimes during this COVID-19 crisis, I found that I was arguing with my brother or friends and I'm like, we're not even talking about the same thing. You know, like, let's figure out what it is we're disagreeing about. And then, you know, it is critical in these discussions to know exactly to, how to move forward and reveal that usually it's a disagreement over means and not a disagreement over the dignity of the human person. I want to say that again. It's not a disagreement over the dignity of the human person. A lot of times, I think when people are feeling affront, they're feeling attacked, they're feeling uh, misunderstood, we have to make sure that we, we sort of differentiate um, the, the, the reason for the disagreement. And it's most, it's most all the time not a disagreement over the dignity of the human person. Because oftentimes we don't even know each other. How can we say, I hate you when I, I don't even know you? And number five, she talks about dialogue rather than debate. This is really important. She says, too often we debate. Debating requires that people take sides. One side wins and the other side loses. But we need to opt for dialogue instead. People who dialogue hold their desired outcomes loosely, believing that there is more wisdom in the room than their own. That I don't know everything, that I'm not 100% sure of anything. That, uh, that I, I cannot know all knowledge, you know, and certainly we're inundated every day with more and more stories and facts and points. And oftentimes we just say, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if the COVID-19 virus started in Wuhan in a lab or if it started in a bat cave, you know, from animal droppings and went to a wet market. I don't know. I don't know if... Um, drug companies are making millions upon millions of profits. I don't know. I just know that we have to get through this, right? 
And then number six, she talks about care. She says, you really have to care. If you do everything else well, but ultimately you don't care, there's a slim, slim chance our efforts will bear fruit. So it comes, you know, I, when all that is talked about, I always think of the word empathy. Um, and there's this uh, really interesting guy. He's in California and Tunisia. He goes between the two places. His name is Mark Gonzalez. And he talks, he's an optimist. He calls himself a futurist. And he talks about innovative solutions for a better world. Um, one of the terms he uses is called empathy technology. And it's less, con less concerned with the idea of connecting with another's pain, but more concerned with the mechanics of how a human being understands himself. And as that person walks through the world and how that person sees others as part of oneself. Um, this really struck an, a chord with me because there's an, a term, there's an a term in Islam, an Arabic word that's called, the, the word is called Tawheed. And a lot of times when I was growing up, I understood it as meaning the oneness of God. But this gentleman, Mark Gonzalez, says it's actually the understanding of the oneness of everything. And he says, if everything is oneness, then we're all part of the oneness. We're all interlinked in everything. And when I see you, I see a part of myself, even if it's just a small shadow. He says Buddhism has that same tradition. Indigenous communities have that same tradition. There are different words for it in different languages, but in English, we have the word empathy. And he talks about um, empathy technology, which is not having to do with uh, laptops or iPads, but it's, um, it's actually the systemizing of a process. And he talks about how the dinner table is a technology. The printing press is a technology. Storytelling is a technology. Um, he talks about the dinner table. He says it's one of the original connection platforms in which strangers would gather around and be rooted through one another via food. Storytelling is one of the original empathy technologies in which you create narratives and projections and characters, and you start to see yourself through another person. Um, you know, around this dinner table, he says, you try to gather people, of course, from different groups and, and across the spectrum of the society. And they actually did this in the city of Los Angeles when they were having problems with racial divisions and polarization. They did this a few years ago where they had more than a hundred dinners that they organized and brought people together and helped them. They taught them about um, how to dialogue and, and conflict and how to discuss deep issues and then how to at the same time um, not offend each other to be careful about the words they used and he says that when you push people to go into deeper conversations you make a place for everyone in the conversation to share their experience and when people share their experience they feel heard and i think a lot of this time the polarization is people who don't feel heard and they don't feel seen and it's so basic like you know, a lot of times things are complex, but sometimes things are very simple and people 
doesn't matter who you are, what religion, if you don't have any faith, whatever it is, where else, wherever you come from, people need to feel heard and need to feel seen. Um, and so when we have conversations like that, we acknowledge each other's pain. We acknowledge each other's um, um, humanity. And then we can see where people have, are wounded and we can help with that healing. Um, that one, that uh, Mark Gonzalez and his idea of empathy technology really meant a lot to me when I heard that. I thought, wow, it's just so simple. Like if we could gather people around dinner tables, um, if we can hold podcasts like this and, you know, have longer conversations, not just two, three minutes where you see on the news when someone is given just, you know, three minutes and it's usually the story that grabs you visually and it's always the extreme viewpoints that they show. But if we can go deeper and if we can share and listen, you know, really listen and hear people and then try to help people and you eventually you help each, yourselves, right? I mean, we all know that when you do something for someone else, when you give charity, if you roll up your sleeves and work in a food bank, if you, you know, help, you know, f do something physically to help someone else, you more often not help yourself more than you've actually helped the recipient of your charity. No, oh, I mean, that's a, a, an amazing uh, sentiment, uh, uh, amazing advice, I think, in the, in the face of polarization. But it's interesting, you mentioned uh, the media. Um, others would mention political leaders. You spoke about uh, uh, Bill 21, and there's certainly those that say that it was it was done as much to to galvanize a certain level of support for uh, the government of Quebec. And I guess just looking at this for, from a broader perspective, you've spoken a lot of what the individual can do, but what advice would you have for our elected officials and, and for the media and how they can try to deal, uh, uh, not deal, but actually treat this polarization. So our elected officials, remember we elected them. We are the ones that gave them the position and the power. And we always have to remember that we live in a democracy. If we're not happy, we have to wait till the next election. And until then, we can reach out to our representative officials and make it clear to them that, you know, this track we're going on, this path is, is not working for my community. It's not working for me. It's not working for my friends. Um, they work for us and they have to listen to us. Um, but we also have to speak and gather our thoughts in a way that is respectful. Um, it is about being patient with each other, being forgiving, and also at the same time, um, giving that person a chance, you know, not simply writing them off because they've said something that struck a nerve and you found it very offensive. It's about, you know, making a connection and saying this you said yesterday on the news or in this article, um, what did you mean by it? I mean, what I understood was this. Am I am I correct in understanding that's what you said? Because it seems, you know, 
out of place. It doesn't seem fair. So it's just like when you have a misunderstanding in your family, you know, every one of us has to treat each other with this sort of um, uh, a, a respect and, and give each other a chance to explain ourselves. Um, but our, our leaders in society are just like us. I mean, they are going to make mistakes. They are going to trip. And we have to be there to say, look, maybe you, maybe you didn't mean to say this, but this is how it came across, you know? I think we have to be easy with each other. We have to be kinder to each other. And we have to find that thing that is similar in each other that we can build upon. I know Kathleen Wynne in her interview with you a few weeks ago, she really has still, you know, you see this election with Stephen Del Duca, they keep bringing Kathleen Wynne into Stephen Del Duca's space and blaming her for all kinds of problems. But she tried her best and she did a lot of good. Um, I, I Maybe she stayed a little too long as a leader or perhaps it was just we needed a change and it wasn't enough of a change. And so Stephen Del Duca now is getting uh, grouped in with her as he's trying to run for leader of the, um, uh, to be the premier of Ontario. But um, we have to realize that we are all, we are all just human and we, we make mistakes and we are different. Um, just like our leaders in our faith communities, our political leaders are put up um, and scrutinized in a real heavy way. And um, I, I think, you know, we have to sort of, we have to help them do their job. Um, when we see them misstep, we have to sort of um, give them a chance to correct and, and let them know, you know, that this isn't working for us. And this is, this. how about, you know, we, we have different discussions. I think town hall discussions are very helpful when leaders come and meet people where they live and talk to them, really, you know, hear them, listen to them, not just during times of elections when they're trying to win their votes, but throughout their tenure, throughout their time in office. We have to, um, they have to learn to build our respect and our trust and they have to be there when we need them. Could I ask, and I ask everyone this, this, this final question, and you've, you've touched on it a little bit, but the role of faith and faith communities in trying to deal with this polarization. And again, I say this, I think every episode, I recognize that faith can, can be divisive, but I also believe it, uh, it can bring people together. And I just wondered your view on, on the role of faith. Oh, I, I think, you know, for me, it's, it's it, faith plays a, a big role in my life. I, it gives me a lot of comfort and it um, helps me to understand the world I live in. Um, and I know that all religions have been founded on the basis of human equality. I know that God's will is diversity. God's will is pluralism. And God knows that these things are good for human beings. We come from different faith communities, and that is where the strength lies. That is where our strength lies as human beings. We don't need to convert one another to our religion or even to our ideology but we need to convert people from opposition to coalition, from enmity to friendship. 
there is the parable of the mustard seed in the Bible. And in the Quran and the Bible, they both talk about how no matter how little something is, if God wants to bring it to life, it will come to life. And so every small act of compassion can make a world of difference. Even Pope Francis challenges faith communities of all religious denominations to work together in seeking the transcendent truth. And that transcendent truth is our common humanity that we share as brothers and sisters, our human dignity that we recognize and honor, and our commitment to human rights and universe, universally development of equality and that is our way to honor God's calling to us. The transcendent truth that comes from faith includes mercy, compassion, justice, human dignity, and freedom. These are the truths that come from all of our faiths. And it's the recognition of our brotherhood and sisterhood. And I think that leads to the, to the importance of dialogue. Whether we agree or disagree with all elements of policy, to dialogue, is something that we need to build our mutual respect and our listening skills and help our society and ourselves to heal. If we start listening and continue with dialogue and, and that will hopefully build towards action, toward common action that we can take together to address the pressing problems that we face as a society. Um, I think that a lot of the fuel for divisions in this country um, is because people fear each other. There's a famous uh, speech by Franklin Roosevelt called the Four Freedom Speech, where he highlights what political leaders need to deliver for people is a freedom from fear and a freedom from want. And both of those things were really catalyzed in people's lives in very real ways by the dislocations and the disruptions of the pandemic. We must come together to work on those freedoms, that freedom from fear and a freedom from want. We must work to collectively for whoever is harmed, regardless of their religious background. And I think that this COVID-19 pandemic has really, this is a time and a place I think we've been given a gift to look at the world in a different way. And I think it's time now we work together on affordable housing and living wages universal dental care, helping seniors to age in home longer, safe work conditions, homelessness, poverty, racism, and discrimination. If we're not going to do it now, I don't think we're going to do it, we're ever going to do it, because everything was disrupted. And really, this is the time to sort of take a different look at things from a different point of view. There have always been people talking about um, basic income, uh, talking about living wages. And I think we really have to listen now. We can't ignore it. And I always say we have to include young people in these discussions because it's their future. They want to be involved in movements for social justice. It's just in their nature, you know? And that social justice is central to faiths. We cannot have truth and reconciliation without justice. Young people are tired of religions that are more insular and becoming more and more isolated and in fact becoming more irrelevant. Young people want to be relevant in society. There's a search for God and spirituality among young people, even if they don't belong to organized religion, which I think they slowly are leaving organized religion. But you'll always hear young people talk about, I'm spiritual. 
Um, and they, you know, practice things like meditation or consciousness or yoga. So they, they, they have, I think all of us have this spark in us, this, this wanting to connect with a higher being to create a better world for ourselves and others. Um, but I know that there's a problem in that we often talk in stereotypes. We're all victims of stereotypes. We're all culprits of stereotyping and we all have biases. And, you know, oftentimes we protect our own biases so much that we end up just, you know, takes over and our ego is speaking when it should be our soul speaking. Um, I know that um, in Islam, you know, I talked about how that we are not a monolith as Muslims. We're all very different. And I, I always say that Islam is the collection of the consciousness of all people. And I think that's for every religion, you know, all Christians, all Jews, all Hindus, Buddhists. Um, and, and your religion, particularly Islam, is created based on people's heritage and remembrances and their rituals and their doctrine, doctrines. Um, and it's, it's really important from different faith communities that we get to know one another um, because our society is becoming increasingly diverse and it makes common sense for us to energetically engage with one another. It doesn't make sense to isolate and re retreat because then the age-old stereotypes just reproduce themselves because then we don't know one another again. Nina, I want to thank you for your, your thoughtful insights. I think that's a uh, very uh, important message to uh, end our discussion today. You've, uh, uh, I think, left us with lots to ponder on, on polarization from your perspective. Thank you for being on the moment. Thank you so much. It was wonderful to get to meet you and to be able to you research this topic and... Um, I know there is so much wisdom in the world. There is so much goodness. Um, we have to stay optimistic. We cannot lose faith. We cannot lose hope. Um, we have to keep moving forward, making connections, working together, and finding that common ground. We hope you enjoyed this edition of The Moment, a production of the Center for Public Ethics at Martin Luther University College, the founding institution of Wilfrid Laurier University, located in Waterloo, Ontario, Canada. Visit our website, publicethics.ca, for resources and more information on other podcasts. The technical producer of today's recording was Jackson Del Cero, with support from Alex Kinsella. Creative Commons music was provided by Jason Shaw on audionautics.com. Thanks for joining us.